Hi friends, it's Georgia here just to do a little bit of housekeeping before we actually get into the episode. There's just three quick things that we need to do. Number one, I incorrectly in this conversation reference uh, Zach's Twitter handle as at Haida Canuck. It is actually at Haida Hockey. My apologies for that. My brain is an absolute sieve when it comes to these things. But uh, yeah, go and give him a follow. It's at Haida Hockey. Number two, since we've had this conversation, it's been revealed that the Canucks statement that they released on behalf of the Musqueam, Squamish, and Tsleil-Waututh nations was done without the consent or approval of Squamish Nation. That is obviously deeply problematic and disappointing, uh, and I think that there's aspects of this conversation that might have been different if we had known that that was the case. So keep that in mind uh, when we get to those parts of the conversation or in thinking through it as we go. This needed to be done in direct dialogue with them, and it obviously wasn't. So that's that. Number three, this is more of a personal thing. I would just like to say a quick thank you for the words of support and encouragement that I received after the last couple of days on Twitter. It's been a deeply wild, tumultuous ride of chaos. That's the only way I can describe it. So um, I saw everything that you said, and... Uh, it's been it's been comforting uh, in a lot of ways uh, particularly I'd like to thank the people who reached out to me personally um, from the bottom of my heart it it means a lot so with that being said I hope you enjoy our conversation that we have with Elliot I think this whole week has been a steep learning curve for a lot of people uh, and I think this conversation is a good entry point for those of you who maybe don't know much about the issue or who just want to jump in uh, in that kind of calm environment where we just get to sit down and discuss discuss Coast Salish art so I hope you enjoy Uh, thank you for listening I was reading uh, I think I was reading your website a couple of days ago um and i think that was where you talked about how coast salish art was kind of looked down upon yeah that's like a big history of salish art is like how it's distinct from uh, other styles in the pacific northwest whether like Haida or kwakwakawak mm-hmm. um it's like you know the usual pacific northwest native art that people think of is form line which has the ovoids and uh, those shapes and Salish art's kind of the opposite, where it has similar proportion, but the design is like a silhouette that's populated with Salish shapes. Yeah. And, but it was seen, yeah, it was sort of seen as like this primitive style that was undeveloped compared to other styles from the Pacific Northwest. Rodscast. Rodscast. Rodscast podcast. Sam Chang. I'm here for her takedowns of fools. Georgia Twist. I had a moment where I thought that's not his name. I'm going to redo that. Danielle Huntley. Fuck you, Sam Vanessa Yang. Jing. Vanessa's entire purpose to make me feel old. Expert wag reporter Mallory. I don't like to be bamboozled. Vic actually just got the sweatshirt that says Mock Girl Summer. And that's one secret I'll never tell. XOXO, Gossip God. Hello and welcome to the Broadcast. Thank you for joining us, your local hockey girl gang. We're here to talk to you about hockey, sports culture, and whatever is going on in our brains this week. Uh, I'm Georgia, your host, and I am joined today by Sam. Danny and Mal. Uh, we're also welcoming a special guest, uh, Elliot Whitehill, who's a Coast Salish artist, uh, to discuss the entire situation of 
Braden Holby's mask and the fallout, the Canucks logo, etc. This whole kind of thing. This is a double header of an episode, so there will be another episode released in a few days with Marissa and Jemmy, who is lovely enough to come and talk to us about the NWHL and uh, lacrosse. So you can kind of stay tuned for that. Before we start our conversation, I want to make three things quite clear. The first is our own positionality. We are settler folks who most of us live on the unceded and occupied territory of the Musqueam, Squamish, and Tsleil-Waututh Nations, um, also known as Vancouver or the areas around Vancouver. Mallory obviously lives in Kansas City, which is a different story, but that is our own positionality um, in this discussion. The second is that we asked Elliot to come on because he obviously holds a lot of knowledge in terms of uh, his experience as a Coast Salish artist in particular. Um, the conversation that's been going on, it's been important to center Indigenous voices, but we thought it would be extra important to have someone who actually works with the art and can speak to that side of it. With that being said, Elliot does not speak for all First Nations people or Indigenous people. Uh, he speaks for himself, the community that he knows, and that's all we're asking of him. Uh, and then the last thing that we wanted to make crystal clear after the entire chaos of Twitter, uh, none of this is cancel culture. Cancel culture does not exist. What happened in this entire thing was uh, someone who likes to put themselves forth as an ally, which he has done really important things, um, trying to do something that he thought was good. He may have had some missteps, was called back in by the community, apologized, and is moving forward. And now we have a conversation that's important that should be happening. So I wanted to make that crystal clear. Without further ado, Elliot, welcome <laughs> to the broadcast. <laughs> yeah. See, I'm not see I at the um, so, hello everyone. My traditional name is Kualasultan. I come from the Snenemoch First Nation in Nanaimo. Uh, I'm Elliot Whitehill. I come from the, the White family in Snenemoch. I have roots in Penelicate with the Rice family and in the New Chonalth world uh, with the Hamilton family in Hoopachesset. And I carry the name Quias through that line. And um, yeah, so I'm really honored to be here with you all today. Thank you so much for having me. Uh, so I think I just wanted to start, maybe we can kind of go somewhat chronologically, um, though we can obviously flow around as we go with the conversation. I know I, in some ways, kind of dragged you into this conversation a little bit. I'm sure you probably would have made your way there anyway, <laughs> as a Coast Salish artist who is on Connect's Twitter. But maybe just we can start with your first reactions to um, the Braden Holby mask, which was created by Dave Gunnarsson, um, a Swedish uh, mask artist. Um, yeah, so maybe we can just start with that, what your first reactions were upon upon seeing that. Yeah, so like immediately when I saw it and I saw that it was like this kwakwakawak and sort of northern design, I was really interested because like, you know, it's seeing that representation within hockey and like in public is so important, you know. And so I was really excited that Holpi thought it important to like honor Indigenous culture in BC and you know, as a, as a newcomer to the team, like this is just such a powerful way to reach out to the community. And so it was frustrating when I realized that it wasn't actually an Indigenous artist who did it and that wasn't part of the, the process. But what's really impressed me, though, is just Holpi's response. And it was like immediate and unquestioning. Like, yeah, this is I, I, I get it. I see where you're coming from. And uh, there's a good way to do this. 
And so I'm really excited that he's taking this as a learning experience and, you know, that there, there's different ways to, to do this and to connect with the local community. And like, above all, I think what's so critical is like for the Canucks working with Musqueam, Squamish and Tsleil-Waututh as that's the territory that they're on, like um, such a fundamental part of our teachings in the Coast Salish world is that you honor the people whose territory you're on first. And uh, so being able to do that and like some of the stuff that's come out today I think is jumping ahead a little bit <laughs> that's fine but, you know that's that's so awesome that that engagement's taking place because that's the most important thing I think so one of the things that got brought up particularly with the mask is that the style of art that was used was kind of a conglomerate of different styles in Dave Gunnarsson's kind of fashioning so I know that the Thunderbird that was used, I don't, I am, I'm actually, I know that the Thunderbird is quite sacred in terms of different Indigenous groups' understandings of it. Is the Thunderbird in Coast Salish culture or different groups, what does the Thunderbird represent? So like when I think of the Thunderbird, and there is one thing that I want to bring up too, and it's just this sort of the what who the Coast Salish are I've seen yeah. coming around quite a bit and yeah. uh, that's been a question and so like the Coast Salish are an overarching nation group and I sort of would look at it as like Europe you know mm. you have Europe but it's a body of different countries and different peoples and cultures um, so the Coast Salish people are, are a collective of different nations that each have their own distinct cultures and practices but we're all related we have similar language we have similar uh, cultural practice um, and so when I speak about like what the Thunderbird symbolizes or, or what it's what it is, I speak from my background as a Sinemo person. Mm -hmm. And, uh, you know, the Thunderbird is a really significant uh, supernatural being within our within our world. Um, there are stories from my community told from my family, actually, that talk about like the Thunderbird that made its nest on Mount Benson, or Teitachtan, which is the name for Mount Benson here in Naimo, mm. and uh, what a role that it had, and how there, you know, these supernatural beings, which are such a significant part of our worldview, and our histories, and our identities, um, so they, they had active presence within our world, and when we think of places, and when we think of our history, uh, it's intrinsically tied to these beings who exist. And so the Thunderbird sort of represents a very powerful being within, within our cosmology uh, that can be a helper. It can be uh, something that, you know, we can go to for help. Um, but really, it's just a very significant thing that isn't really talked about or represented lightly. Mm -hmm. um, and so it's really significant to honor that when, when you're using it. And then, so the other thing that I, I wanted to ask about, this is quite a lot of the conversation around the use of the art was, oh, it's just a style, you know, like it's just something, why can't we use it? Because, etc. And I think I would just like you maybe to make clear what Indigenous art means, because it's not just like painting a picture or, you know, painting a couple of flowers. There's a lot there's a lot deeper significance to it that maybe people who are, who are settlers or people who aren't like from here would necessarily understand. So could you just speak to that a little bit? Yeah, totally. And, you know, I think that that's exactly it. Like when people think of art, they will generally think about like the, the work to express something that's beautiful or to express ideas and concepts visually um, with 
our art and speaking from my background as a Coast Salish and Nuchonal person, our art is intrinsic, it's intrinsically tied to our identity and who we are. And it's intrinsically tied to its use within ceremony and ritual. And, um, you know, like really specifically for Coast Salish art and um, like the, the history of it, the way that it was used, um, we didn't have the same sort of tradition of uh, totem poles or mask mm -hmm. dances that is common to the Pacific Northwest. Uh, Salish art was most often seen, or at least the most often uh, things that we have left of it are like things that were in the everyday and everything that was around us, the spindle whirls that we use to weave wool or spin wool rather, mm -hmm. um, bowls, the house posts that framed our, our longhouses. Um, and all of it was incredibly personal and referenced specifically uh, the owner that it, the person that it belonged to or that family or the artist who made it. And it would be depictions of things that are significant to us, whether it's, you know, uh, beings that have helped that person or that family, uh, stories about who we are and where we come from, stories about the place that we come from, the place that we live and uh, different things. And so in that sense, it's almost like a, a visual language that's used more to express uh, stories about who we are uh, than really like the the end goal of making something that is art you know mm -hmm. yeah um, and so that's one thing that I think people would really benefit from learning about when it comes to talking about like ownership over an art style mm -hmm. because this, it's not just like intellectual property it's it's part of who we are yeah in, in yeah. a really serious way I kept I kept seeing that being kind of bandied about this idea of it just a general misunderstanding of what art means in that context. And I think it's because people have a tendency to understand the world as we all do from, if we're settlers through like a Western lens. And it was kind of frustrating to see that kind of misunderstanding take place, but also me kind of like, okay, I, I get why you're going there, but that's not, it's not, it's, a, we have the same word for what you're doing, but it's not the same. So he was called in, he stepped forth and apologized for what he did, said it was a learning experience, has decided to not use the mask, is going to still have it, but he will be working with Indigenous artists mm -hmm. on the next iteration, which is really awesome. And then that turned into a whole thing about the Canucks logo because it became a conversation about <laughs> cancel culture just cares about whatever... I don't even know, like, you guys are just what, it, but no one's ever talked about the logo, which is, it's based off of a Haida style of art, and it's the orca. And that became the conversation. And then Francesco Aquilini released a thing last night, where he said that, or no, he retweeted an article from CTV, where they said that they talked to a Coast Salish chief, Grand Chief. They said they talked to the Grand Chief of the Coast Salish. Yeah, okay. Yeah, the, the monolithic Coast Salish nation. <laughs> Who stated, basically, he didn't have a problem with the logo or whatever. And then that got kind of turned into this whole thing. And I think what people maybe don't understand, I think a really good thread for people to read is from Zach, who's at Haida Canuck mm -hmm. on Twitter who talked about the fact like the logo isn't making him stay up at night in the same way that something like residential schools are or the impacts of colonization, but it is something that's problematic and should be discussed. 
And I think mm -hmm. people missed that point. I'm not really asking you a question. I'm just stating things. I don't know if you want to jump in and have like, like yeah. where the conversation should be. Like it just seemed um, to get overtaken by too many different things. And we lost the plot essentially, I think. I think that like, it's very similar with the initial point that was brought up around Holpi's mask. And it's that if you want indigenous art, then hire indigenous artists. And um, like for me as a Coast Salish person, there's a lot of history of erasure and suppression of Coast Salish art within our territory. Um, so as I was speaking like about how Salish art's distinct from other Pacific Northwest styles, it was seen as less than other styles because of that. It was seen like, and it goes back to like Franz Boas, who was one of the in initial ethnographers mm -hmm. here. And he described it as this primitive sort of like proto West Coast style that was undeveloped compared to the other ones. And it was seen as like less appealing and, and people didn't want to see Salish art. They wanted to see other styles. And so uh, there's this long history of like Salish artists who if they wanted to make a living had to make art that wasn't Salish. And I think that that's a part of where this sort of pan-Indigenous uh, Pacific Northwest Coast native art style comes from that is loosely attached to but not truly re reflective of any of the styles. But you know like with Salish art in the 70s actually a small group of artists like basically single-handedly revitalized the art form uh, those artists are like Susan Point from Musqueam, uh, mm -hmm. Stan Green, uh, Charles Elliott, and Simon Charlie. And that was like in the 70s. That's how long it took before Salish art became a thing again. And uh, since then, like we've had such a like revitalization and flourishing of Salish art. Uh, there have been many generations, or there have been a couple generations now of artists and just like so much amazing work that's being done. And so like part of like working against that history of erasure and, and suppression of Salish art is that when there's opportunities that can go to Salish artists, they really should go to Salish artists because that's, uh, it's so important. And I think about like that representation and like how confused a whole generation of people are about what Salish art is because, um, you know, like as I was saying, like we didn't make totem poles, but when you look at iconic images around the Salish world, it's going to be, it's quite often totem poles because that's what people wanted through the, mm. like the, the 20th century. And so that proper representation is really significant, I think. Yeah. And, uh, and those opportunities that make a big difference. And just like that representation and like for kids growing up and future generations to see that, that's a really meaningful difference, I think, that it can make. What are your thoughts about the logo? Do you have any? Yeah, like, well, I mean, from what everything that I've seen, it's, it's like basically a, a replica of that pan-Indigenous Pacific Northwest native art style. It isn't mm -hmm. Coast Salish art. You know, it's, it's got certain design elements like the trigon and the dorsal fin mm -hmm. that are, you know, common to a lot of different styles. Um, but it isn't like a serious representation of Salish art. And, you know, it's kind of, that's what it is, you know? Yeah, for me yeah it is like very, I guess, kind of like bastardized in the sense that like, they also don't acknowledge that. Like I definitely... I uh, am learning new things about the Canucks logo all the time because I this year learned about the coming down of the ice and then approximately this week learned about the other just cultural appropriation aspect of it. So it's not as neat like they are acknowledging it in any way. They're just kind of taking 
and picking and choosing what they want. Yeah. And like one of the things that, you know, is so important though, is that like the Musqueam, Squamish and Tsleil-Waututh nations are consulted and talked to about it and that their Mm -hmm. opinions on the subject are heard. And, you know, based on the the release that came out today, that's, that's what's taking place. And that's the most important thing, I think. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And so, but for me as a Salish artist, I think that talking about Coast Salish art and our history here, because it's something that so many people don't even know about about Salish art and the history and how it's distinct and you know so it's really important that we continue to bring this up and you know as I'm always going to go to bat for Salish artists. It's so funny because there's so much Salish art around us like you come into Vancouver you're greeted with I'm pretty sure it's Susan Point's art or um is that YVR? Yeah yeah that's Susan Susan Point yeah yeah so you're greeted you know you have it's all over Vancouver Airport. There are tons of stuff. You yeah. come into the city, there's pieces around, like we exist in this world where we're, we, we're constantly interacting with it. But I just don't think people stop to really think about it other than just being there. And mm-hmm. so this conversation that we're now having, and I think for a lot of people who are saying like, oh, this is just SJW stuff it's like no we're at the point where this conversation needs to be happening and maybe we're at the point where people are more comfortable having it not everyone is obviously but we've reached a point in our culture and I think that we saw you know we've seen this happen over the course of this year with the Washington sports team change their name now the Cleveland sports team changed their name the Edmonton former football uh, Edmonton football team changed their name Mm-hmm. You know, we are reaching this reckoning. Um, and one of the things I think that came out in that press release today is they talked to the Canucks talked about how they were in close dialogue with the Musqueam, Squamish, and Slavertooth Nations over um, the Vancouver Warriors um, mm-hmm. and their own um, logo, which is really good and really important. And so it's good that they are doing the same thing for it for the Canucks now. I think that's all people were asking for was to be in dialogue with these folks and to, you know, go, go forth in, in a spirit of community and a spirit of respect for the people whose lands they're literally like profiting and living off of, you know? Yeah, absolutely. And I don't think it's ever about like, you know, forcing people to change or um, that it's really just about basic questions of respect and like can we look at things and you know is this respectful is it something that we should be talking about and is this the way that we want to exhibit respect or is this the way that the team wants to represent itself mm-hmm. and these are conversations that are always going to happen that's part of you know branding really yeah. <laughs> you always want to self-evaluate and there's a really unique opportunity I think that came out of all this dialogue that you know, there's a chance for the Canucks to work with someone from Musqueam, Squamish, or Tsleil-Waututh and talk about it. And, you know, I don't think that, you know, you have to totally scrap the idea. Because actually, I think that the, the Orca logo conceptually represents BC really beautifully in a way that the past Canucks logos haven't, which is a part, which, that's part of the narrative of the team. Um, and, you know, I've, I've been attached to it for a long time as a Canucks fan. <laughs> Like, I pretty much lived in my Yannick Hansen jersey during the 2011 run. <laughs> and, uh, like, I've been such an intense fan of the team. <laughs> so, 
that's really it's really weird actually in that sense to be like in this position where I'm being asked about my opinion about this thing that's important to it you know yeah. so it's uh, it's really quite surreal <laughs> I was going to pivot a little bit. Um, I was reading your website as well. And I know that you say in your website that you're pretty new to it. I was hoping you could kind of tell us a bit about your story and how you became an artist and kind of your journey. Yeah. Um, so I think really like my journey in art began when my great grandma passed away in 2018. Um, you know, she was just such a major influence on me and just such a, an amazing person. Like she all throughout her life worked to advocate for indigenous rights and preserve our teachings. Um, you know, she was a really actually a unique case because uh, like she grew up, she was born in Penelicut, that's where she came from. And uh, Rice Island, our family's island now known as Norway Island, just off the coast of that. Um, but so she, uh, she never went to residential school. And uh, at the time, it was because uh, her and her cousins were born in Washington State, actually. The family was picking berries or hops down there for work. And so she wasn't seen as like a Canadian Indian. And so she didn't go to residential school. And uh, the elders, including her, her grandma, Mary Rice Hallanamit, and her, her uncle, Tommy P.L. Kayapileno, and other elders from the community, said to her and that generation of kids, like, if you can't go to their school, then you're going to go to our school and raised them in the, the traditional way and taught them about medicine and healing. And like, uh, she was a midwife her whole life. Like she was helping birth children from the age of eight um, and really like worked in preserving our teachings and stories and published a number of books and stuff. Um, and so when she passed away, I was just really like, you know, realizing how much knowledge had went with her and really realizing like how spoiled I'd been to just be able to go and sit with her all the time and, and listen to her. Um, but I also realized uh, how much she had left behind and how much her generation of elders had left behind and how much they're still there for us within the elders in our community and, and what's there. And so I just started researching everything that I could find. Like I read all the old ethnographies I could find, old stories. I looked through museum collections because I just realized like I have to do more to to learn about who I am and Coast Salish culture and be able to pass that down uh, to the future generations. And so I spent like, uh, I think probably a year just doing that. And it really like pushed me towards the art. Um, one thing that I really realized is that you can look at all these old textbooks and stuff that is largely written by settlers in like the early 1900s. Um, and you can learn all sorts of facts and tidbits about who we are. But if you really want to learn about who we are as Coast Salish peoples, you have to look at our art and you have to look at our stories and you have to look at our own ways of expressing that for ourselves. And so I just became really fascinated with it and eventually started doodling and like feeling compelled to make Salish art. And like that was about two years ago now. And it's just been incredible. Like, you know, I've just become really obsessed with it. <laughs> So this journey has been really amazing and I've been given opportunities that I never would have like imagined. I know that you've been using, I think you've been using Procreate, right? Which is what yeah, I use. I, I use the, Procreate for pretty yeah. much everything. Yeah, yeah, it's so fun. I did want to ask you, um, I really, I love the piece that you did of the bird and I was, <laughs> I was waiting to buy it and then I missed out and you've sold out, but I will. Um, yep. But I did want to ask you, so when you, are making an art piece. I'm just curious because for me, I just kind of sit here and go, oh, that might be interesting. But what is the process of coming up with, you know, a piece? Um, are you inspired by what's around you? Do you um, just do what kind of feels right to you or? Yeah, um, 
it's kind of spontaneous. And then sometimes I like really grapple with my designs. Like it just won't come. And then I'll have to like, just like, I, I actually, a lot of my work, what I do is I just kind of like scribble and like get blocky shapes out there that I can then like carve away at and see what's going to happen. But a lot, a lot of the time I'll have ideas that just kind of occur to me or, you know, I'll just be like reading or like listen, like talking to people and I'll have an idea about what's, what's going on. And I find that like, with our art, so much of it, like, and so much of our teachings around the practice of making art is about being present. And, uh, you know, there's a lot of talk about, there's this uh, sort of philosophical principle in Salish culture called Aishqualuan, which means to be of good mind, or really, like, I think it means to, like, be of good being, like, your whole, your whole you. And it's really important when you're making art, or when you're doing anything, if you're making anything, whether it's weaving or carving or doing that you be you work on maintaining that and being present and trying to open yourself like my grandma my great grandma would always talk about how if you're working with something you talk to it while you're working with it if you're weaving you would talk to the cedar the the bark and you'd ask it to help you and you tell it about what you're going to do and let it know what's happening and you know you you try to open yourself to that and when that when you do that that's when it's really going to help you and with the art, I think it's the same thing. You have to try to be present and try to open yourself to it. Who are some Coast Salish artists that we should know about? Oh, I know you so probably have a now. bunch. I know. It's, like, I... it's so amazing. Like, so, yeah. you know, since I started being, like, sharing my stuff and participating in the community on Instagram, it's just been, like, mind-blowing the amount mm. of people who are doing such cool stuff. Um, so I think, like, some of the the most amazing Salish artists, like the, the Marston family, like all of them do really amazing <laughs> yeah. stuff. Uh, Luke Marston, John Marston, Jane mm. Marston. They're all from, uh, they, I think that they're, Saminas is, is where they're from. Yeah, okay. Um, I should really know. Uh, <laughs> Dylan Thomas is, uh, is from uh, Lyaxon and he has been doing a lot of really amazing work. He's actually revitalizing Salish stone carving, which is so cool right now. Oh, wow. Um, that's like a whole field of our art that hasn't even been done in a really long time. Wow. Uh, Susan Point, as I mentioned, from Musqueam, and uh, her children, Thomas and Kelly Cannell, do really amazing mm-hmm. work. Uh, the whole Sparrow family wow. and their blankets are just amazing. And like Deborah Sparrow, actually, I was meaning to talk about this, Uh, She did the designs that were on the 2010 Team Canada Olympic jersey. Yeah. In in like the maple leaf. Mm -hmm. And I just remember like being so like stoked on that when, when that, when I saw that and like, you know, I've always had kind of like a loose attachment to Canadian national teams, especially in the world juniors. I end up cheering for like other teams. (laughs) 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 But like that year I was just like, I was like just blown away. Like, yeah, like Salish arts being used on the team Canada Jersey for the Olympics in Vancouver. And uh, that was so cool. I wonder if, so I know that the Canucks do, they do have an indigenous people's night. And I know that they do that in, um, uh, with the support of the nations. I don't think they would have done that if they hadn't. But what, like, th- this might get cut out because I don't know if it's a fair question to ask you. <laughs> but, like, what else should they be doing? Like, should they be doing land acknowledgments for games? Or I've seen a lot of Indigenous people who are like, land, land acknowledgments are important, but they're kind of becoming watered down, like, mm. et cetera. Yeah, I- 
Um, I think here for people who don't know, because not all of our listeners live in BC or are aware of this, but we live on non-treaty land. So this is unceded territory. It's not like the majority of Canada, which is treaty land, which that is a whole nother mm. conversation that we could have. But here it's particular because the majority of British Columbia, except for the Douglas treaties, and I think just a, the northern northeast tip is not mm -hmm. treaty land. Um, did you have any thoughts about that? Yeah. Um, well, I think, again, like the most important thing is the engagement and dialogue with the Musqueam, Squamish, and Tsleil-Waututh peoples about what what they see as appropriate and, and a way of yeah. honoring and acknowledging that. You know, frankly, I think that every team should be doing land acknowledgements before every game. Yeah. You know, even though it can be seen as performative sometimes, it's still a step, you know? Yeah. Um, and not just like blanket saying the whole, every team in the league, you have to do a land acknowledgement now. It's like, no, like go, find out whose people or who, like whose territory you're on and engage mm -hmm. with those people and like talk to the community and engage with the community because there's so much potential for sport uh, to be engaging with like indigenous youth and providing opportunities and just working with the community. I guess this is kind of a big question, but what, what are, what would you hope that people take away from the events of the last week and the conversations that we have been having? I think really that the issues of cultural appropriation are more complex and that there's a lot more layers than people seem to think. And that it isn't just, you know, copying one way of making a piece of art or doing this or that, you know, it's really like it digs into our identity and it, it has an impact. And, and, you know, frankly, uh, it contributes to that history of erasure. I think it, it contributes to that because you're, you're detracting from uh, the, the people who are the source continuing to express themselves and share, share their voice, which is the most important, I think. It also, I think this is, was interesting because it became this, they often talk about the oppression Olympics, you know, like scales of oppression. It almost became similar where it's like, well, this isn't as bad as the Cleveland logo. So it's not that mm -hmm. bad. And people were missing the fact that it's two parts of the same conversation. You know, it's all revolving around the same conversation. It's just different manifestations of it. Mm -hmm. And they lost the complexities of that. And I think the cultural appropriation thing, that's a, I don't know yeah. how you deal with that. <laughs> The difficult thing too, I think, is just like when people respond to headlines instead of the dialogue and that like people sort of lose sight of that. Like this is a, a conversation about like basic questions of respect and like what is respectful and how do we respect people? And like, you know, is this really a good way to respect someone if, if that's what you want to do? Like, yeah. uh, so it's important to keep that in mind and that it's not just about like we're gonna end this thing, you know? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and I think the, the thing about the Canucks is, so with Finn's drums and stuff, they have made these steps. Like they do have this history of having dialogue and, you know, coming up with ways to honor where they are, um, ways to do that in, in appropriate ways. And I think the drums that Finn uses, which are done by, I believe, a Musqueam artist, yeah, I think they're done by uh, Hulakt and I think Rick Harry's is yeah, 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 yeah. And they're done uh, in this 
beautiful piece. And I think actually a lot of people were saying that we should use that as our logo. Um, but they're done in a way that like Finn, who's a mascot, who's an orca, can use them. He's not singing traditional songs, but there's a respect there and acknowledgement of this is your culture that we are borrowing from, but you are giving it to us in this, like, it, it's like a reciprocity kind of thing and mm-hmm. relationship. It's not just, we're taking this from you. Goodbye. <laughs> Have fun. And then we're going to profit off of it. It's much more of that. Yeah. Mutual respect, I think is obviously a big thing. Um, and so I, I'm quite hopeful that that will be the same kind of thing that they have ultimately with the logo. I know that they released that statement today. I, I can't remember if they said they were going to do ongoing conversations about it, but um, going forward. And, and hopefully, you know, this carries out into kind of the larger realm of sports. I mean, especially with hockey, um, I think the conversations about cultural appropriation that we have here, particularly with the Chicago Blackhawks are a big one. Um, mm-hmm. Is that's like this is important stuff for us to be talking about. It's not just like we're bored on a Tuesday, so we're going to tweet about it. Like <laughs> these are important conversations that we need to be having, especially where we are today. I think. Yeah, absolutely, and I think that like these conversations uh, are like an integral part of the work of reconciliation because it isn't like we have to stop looking at reconciliation as this thing that's just going to happen and just wait for it to happen. You know, instead it's it's a shift in the way that we relate as peoples on a moment by moment basis. Mm-hmm. And uh, it's a shift in the way that we, we work with each other and that we walk together and it's just going to continue that way. It's a journey, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Um, okay. I wanted to ask you about hockey. Yeah. <laughs> How do you want to talk about art? <laughs> <laughs> but how old are you? 25. Okay, I'm 26, so it's the same age. Did you get into the Canucks with the West Coast Express? <laughs> yeah, I did. Um, yeah. That was, you know, actually, I think my first memories of hockey were watching, and I can't even remember, because I think, I think it was a back-to-back Stanley Cup finals between the Stars and the Devils in, like, 2000, 2001. Yeah. Um, so those were, like, my first hockey memories, and my grandpa was cheering for the Stars, and so I cheered for the Devils. <laughs> and so that was, like... Um, my first sort of like team was New Jersey actually. And then I got really into the Canucks around the West Coast Express era. And uh, yeah, just sort of since then, I've been following the team for better or for worse. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, our generation has the weirdest Canucks relationship, I feel like, because we had the West Coast Express era when we were so young and then we were kind of rebuilt and then we had 2011 and then it just kind of like, we all just died inside after that. Yeah, that was, I think. like I remember, um, so I was in like grade 10 at the time and uh, like, I, like I literally did like live in my Yannick Hansen jersey that entire cup run. And I remember it was like the last day of school for that grade and I had this like project uh, that I was working on in like electronics or something and my teacher was like Elliot I know like whatever happens tonight with game seven like please just like show up tomorrow and finish your project like I'll give you a pass no matter what and I didn't go the next day (laughs) do what you gotta do yeah it was uh that was the night of prom at my school I was in grade 11 but it was the grade 12's prom that year and like none of the guys went (laughs) yeah (laughs) It was just like such a spectacle too, you know, like the whole province was in- involved. Like I know like 
every time there was a goal, you'd hear like cars honking outside, yeah. no matter where you were in town. And it was just like such a crazy thing. Yeah. How do you feel about the Canucks now? <laughs> you know, I think if you followed me on Twitter for a while, you've seen that I'm pretty critical of some of our management decisions. <laughs> <laughs> no, Elliot. <laughs> but I think that like the core that we have is really strong. You know, like Elias Pettersson is just something else. Mm-hmm. Quinn Hughes is just un- like, you know, I, I remember like just like totally bullshitting at the start of the year. I was like, Hughes could put up 50 points this year if our power play clicks. And I was like, that's totally unrealistic to expect a rookie defenseman to like put up that many points in the NHL. And then he like goes and does it. <laughs> like, <laughs> like, who is he? And uh, you know, like I've always been a really big fan of prospects too. Like I've had to step back a little bit recently just cause I don't have that much time. Uh, but like watching prospects has always been really fun and just like seeing mm. how players are going to develop. And so, like, Pod Colson, I was really high on all of the his draft year. And so I was actually really stoked that we got him. I think he could be, you know, a, a good utility player who can do some interesting stuff. And, you know. <laughs> no, this is good. We we are terrible at talking about Canucks prospects, I realized. <laughs> I'm trying to think of, I, as you were talking about that, I'm like, I don't remember the last time we referenced a Canucks prospect. <laughs> when was yeah. it a while? It's been such a long time. We do like Jack Rathbone, though. We do want to say shout out to Jack Rathbone, who contributed to Dave Nordem's GoFundMe. So, and he's playing in the Warzone game. Oh, he's such a good boy. Oh, yeah, he's like he he's a really good player. He can skate so well, and he like has some edge to his game. Oh, have you ever thought about writing for? I uh, I used to. Did you? Okay, yeah, I thought you did. Um, like, I, it's always been like something where it's like I'd love to do that. Yeah. And then I'm also just like, like knowing Canucks Twitter, <laughs> it's just like such, it's an environment. <laughs> so I, I really applaud everyone who continues to to do that and to share their opinions because it's like, yeah. It's intense. Yeah. It's really intense. It's really intense. Is Yannick Hansen your favorite Canuck of all time? Yeah, I think I'd say so actually. Like, yeah. Like I think uh, like Pavel Bure is up there. Um, yeah, Yannick Hansen was just like, you know, he, he wasn't the most talented guy on the ice, but he just gave it absolutely everything, every shift, no matter what. Through like he, all the- he so, walked so Tyler Mott could run. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Like, that's why I, I love Tyler Mott so much. I'm like, Tyler Mott is like this generation's Yannick Hansen. That is true. I always tend to go for those kind of players too, because they just try so hard. I like the mm-hmm. underdogs. Is there anything you wanna you wanna promote or plug? Yeah. Oh, really. tell us about your recent to... recent works. Didn't you get commissioned oh. to do something? So um, I've done a couple of recent commissions that are like just really incredible opportunities. You know, the stuff that um, that I never expected to get. Like, so I just finished, uh, a, or it's underway actually, a commission by the city of Nanaimo at Bevan Park Swimming Pool to do like replace all of the public art in the pool That's with so the cool. art that is about the estuary and Sinemo history and culture and connection to the estuary. Wow. And there's a language component to it too, which is just going to be so awesome to be able to to share that that knowledge with people who are visiting like at the pool and to go there. There was that really cool opportunity that I got from Mary Ellen Trapel-Lafond to make art for her report addressing Indigenous-specific racism in BC healthcare, 
which was just such an honor, you know, that's such a significant report. Um, so I did art that was actually through all of it, the uh, like the chapter headings, and I did this graphic stuff. Um, so that was just really amazing. Um, but really, like if, if I had to promote something, I'd say like support local indigenous business and, you know, support support indigenous artists wherever you are. <laughs> yeah, it's all online, you guys. Like you can buy this stuff. It's not like you can't access it. There's also like great restaurants, stores in Vancouver that you can support. Like there's so many things uh, that you can kind of do and you can buy this stuff. Buy Elliot's art, even though it's all sold out because you're so good. <laughs> I'm working on some stuff that for, for new options because that's like been such a strange journey into like selling art. Like, yeah. I did not expect to be doing that this year. Like no, no way. I think I... I think I saw the one of your pieces and messaged you. I'm like, how can I buy this? And you're like, it will happen. <laughs> Eventually. <laughs> yes, yes. So I was saying the other day that on our on our thread, so I, I recognize this person's name because she was my former debate coach, but she's also Jody Wilson-Raybould's former chief of staff. And she, like, she, I saw she responded to you saying she had picked up a piece of your art. And she oh, no way. Get it. Yeah. That's awesome. Yeah. Yeah. I did get a couple orders after that. That was so cool. So hopefully they're arriving with everyone on time. Do you want to just say your website and your Instagram? People can find you. Yeah, sure. Um, and your Twitter. So, yeah, both my uh, my Instagram handle and my website are my traditional name, Quilosselton. That's uh, K-W-U-L-A-S-U-L-T-U-N. And you can also find Elliot on Twitter. At, is it at Elliot Whitehill? Yeah, that's right. Yeah. Don't yell at him. Like, be nice. Elliot, thank you so much for joining us. Oh, actually, one thing I didn't want to ask you, are you fluent in Helkmalum? No, actually. And that's, so that's something that, um, like, so our dialect, Helkaminum. Oh, is, I keep saying it wrong. I'm sorry. So actually, like in Musqueam, it's called uh, Hunkaminum. And there's another dialect, I think that's Helkaminum, that's further upriver. Oh, okay. And so our dialect is distinct to the island. Um, and unfortunately, actually, like, we don't have any more fluent speakers in our community. Oh, wow. And, uh, that's just a reality, like, as we continue to lose this generation of elders. But there are a lot of really amazing resources. And so, like, part of after my great-grandma passed away is I started attending classes in the community about learning Halkaminum. And uh, so, like, I can introduce myself. And it's, like, actually, like, incorporating Halkaminum into my art has been a really great mm -hmm. way of learning it. And, like, learning words and how to string together sentences and it's good practice uh, but yeah that's sort of wow. the that a lot of indigenous peoples face actually with our languages do you have a favorite word or phrase in I, i'm gonna say helkamilum uh, and I, the reason i say that is because i'm from langley and that's where the where Qualen nation is and i'm pretty sure that yeah, yeah, they yeah. say helkamilum helkaminum Actually, like what just killed me that I learned from like learning the language and like seeing the literal translations, the way that we say goodbye is hiewes. And um, what it translates to literally is leave already. <laughs> oh my God. <laughs> but, uh, so like hiye is leave and woof is the suffix for already. So it's like, and this is the, this is the way that you say goodbye. This is the traditional <laughs> way to say goodbye. You say hiewes. And if you want to be polite, you say to honor the person you're talking to. And it's just saying leave already. <laughs> that says a lot about us as, as Coast Salish people. <laughs> yeah. yeah, 
Wow, that is, that's really amazing. Totally. You can tell so much about people from the way that they're lang- like the language and like the way that you refer to the world around you. It's so cool. Yeah, it is. Really cool. So I'm really glad you're able to learn the language. I think uh, that is a big thing, obviously, that like you mentioned, a lot of Indigenous nations are facing um, right now with uh, language sovereignty, but also just access because of the ways that our country has functioned in the past, which has been about erasing that. With that being said, thank you so much for joining us on the broadcast. Uh, You're welcome to come back anytime. This was a lot of fun. Maybe we'll have you come and talk about prospects. Yeah. (laughs) Thank you so much for sharing everything with us. This was really awesome. I think, as we said, it's the whole time it's been about creating a dialogue. And so I always tell my students, you make space, but you, you take space, but you also make space. And I think that's important for people to remember. Hey, Tsepka, Thank you so much for having me on. It's really such an honor. Um, yeah, just thank you so much. You can follow us at BroadcastPod. You can email us at BroadcastPod at gmail.com. Bye, Elliot's Art. Please, thank you. Bye. <laughs>